Thanks for checking out our weekly Sunday message from Carrollton UMC. We pray that God will use this to speak to you and help you grow in faith. We invite you to join us this Sunday at our 10.30 a.m. one-hour service, in person at our location in Uptown New Orleans, or live online on our YouTube channel or Facebook page. To learn more about Carrollton, please visit us at carrolltonumc.com. We hope you enjoy this message. Our scripture this morning comes from Paul's letter to the Corinthians, his first one, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 14 through 26. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot shall say, because I am not a hand and I not belong to the body, it would not be for that reason stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. The word of God for us, the people of God, let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable to you in all ways, for you are our rock and our ever-present Redeemer. Amen. It just struck me, those people who were talking about folks in the congregation who are, have some suffering from illness, they understand that when one part of the body hurts, the whole body hurts. So welcome back to the church that had the major technological difficulties last week. Everything that could go wrong went wrong, whether it was the copy machine not working or the broadcast not going or my trusted microphone feeding back right at the end of the service, right when I was starting to get good. Uh, I think we have it all fixed this week, but part and parcel of the technological difficulties last week were not just that the broadcast didn't go out, but we didn't record the service or the message. So I thought about repeating the same message this week to see if anybody was paying attention. But uh, I thought better of it, and God gave me something he put right in front of me, another topic to pursue. But you may recall, though, that last week we left with this idea that if we are motivated in our life to do anything because of fear, we can rest assured that that motivation does not come from God. And I use the example of my own seminary experience being disrupted in the middle of it because of fears that seminary and the ministry might not work out and that I needed to be back practicing law sooner rather than later so I didn't forget how to do it. Now, that all ended up turning out to be great. Well, I guess I should let you all be the judge of that, but in any event, God, despite my unfaithfulness in the intermediate part of my seminary career, 
um, worked with me anyway, and now you all are stuck with me most Sundays here at the church. But my particular example seemed somewhat complex at the time it occurred, principally then because I did not then understand the maxim that fear as a motivation does not come from God. And I expect we can all think back to points in time in our lives, perhaps much more simple compartmentalized times, but maybe not, maybe more complicated, where fear took over and we ended up taking a direction that we know now was probably not the right direction to take. Now, distinguishing between straight-up good reasoning and motivation by fear probably isn't all that difficult, but it can be a problem when we endeavor to make that distinction by comparing ourselves to other people. You may remember a few weeks ago we studied scripture that says we have no business declaring ourselves to be good people by comparing ourselves to other people that we think are less good Likewise, we have no business rendering determinations that our motives are based on solid reasoning versus fear by comparing ourselves to what other people do. So last week, we brought up this idea that fear is more than likely what is preventing us from becoming more engaged in our church and its work with our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witness. Fear of the time commitment, fear of how this might affect me financially, my fear about speaking to other people about Jesus Christ. Fear is keeping us from being engaged, from being hands-on generous church members who are not only willing but eager to go out and talk to other people about Jesus. But operating now with the knowledge that those motivating fears don't come from God, we should then be ready to get engaged. For some of us, though, moving into full engagement with the church is a new territory. We say, how do we do it? And the answer is, work from your strengths. In preparing for this week's sermon, I read an author who provided this little story about a rabbi named Rabbi Zuza. And when he was an old man, Rabbi Zusa said, in the coming world, they're not going to ask me, why were you not Moses? They will ask me, why were you not Rabbi Zusa? That is God's question to each one of us. We're not expected to be who we are not. We are expected to be who we are. Every one of us is driven by a large degree, by a search for significance. We want our lives to count for something. And the rich people in the world have discovered that all the money and all the notoriety that the world can bring them really doesn't satisfy that need for significance. And what most people, I think, eventually learn, hopefully not too late in their lives, is that giving in service is where our search for significance concludes. But then even with that realization, we wonder, how can I possibly contribute and I think the answer to the question is this. Realistically evaluate your gifts. Realistically evaluate your talents. I read something kind of profound this week on this topic of our talents. This writer said this. He says, if you are like most people, you have grown up with the weakness prevention model. You've been told this. If you're going to become strong, if you're going to be successful, if you really want to serve God in this world, you've got to fix your weaknesses. What you really need to do is to develop your areas where you lack talent, and then you will be ready to fully serve God in this world. 
And the writer said, that's just plainly wrong. He said, instead, you will be most successful in whatever you do by building your life around your greatest natural abilities rather than your weaknesses. Think about that for a minute. This should come as a relief to most of us because we no longer need to focus on our inadequacies. But we need to hone in on our strengths and use those for the greater good and God's glory. That shouldn't come as news to us, but it does because we're bombarded every day by society and messages on television, wherever it may come from, that we're supposed to be focused principally upon addressing our weaknesses, whether it's our weight or our appearance or our finances or our health. Not things we need to ignore, but if they are not where you are strongest, is that not your area of strength? That's not where you need to be focused for purposes of your contribution to society and to the church. Instead, we're to focus on our strengths and use those strengths to serve others. Because frankly, folks, other people deserve our best. It also shouldn't come as news to us because last week we heard Paul clearly lay out this concept of working from our strengths. In Romans 12, verses 3 through 8, and I'll paraphrase here using pieces from the message translation of the Bible, Paul says, Living then as every one of you does in pure grace, it's important that you not misinterpret yourselves as people who are bringing goodness to God. No, God brings it all to you. In this way, and we know he's talking about the church, just like our scripture today was talking about the church, we are like the various parts of the human body. Each part gets its meaning from the body as a whole and not the other way around. So since we find ourselves fashioned into all these excellently formed and marvelously functioning parts in Christ's body, let's just go ahead and be what we were made to be without enviously or pridefully comparing ourselves to others or trying to be something that we are not. That's so profound, but it's profoundly simple. First, God gives it all to us, and then each of us is extravagantly and beautifully different from the other, and we should live graciously into that and be what we are made to be instead of trying to be something that we are not. Again, another sigh of relief, which should be followed by a rush of excitement because now we know we can be wildly productive and effective and a blessing to others simply because we know that if we identify our strengths and apply those to God's work, we will be doing exactly what God wants us to do. You were looking for God's plan in your life? Well, there it is. Of course, then, there's day two. You wake up on day two, and you question all of this. Do I really have what it takes? Am I really able to be of use to others? If that happens, remember when God challenged Moses to go before Pharaoh and demand the release of the Israelite slaves, and Moses felt inadequate. He said, oh, no, God, they're not going to believe me, and I don't, I don't speak very well. Could you, could you send somebody else? And the Bible doesn't say that God was pleased with Moses for his humility, Instead, it says the wrath of God was kindled against Moses because of his lack of faith, because an inferior com inferiority complex is not humility. Humility is finding out what God has gifted you to do and doing it with reckless 
reckless, absolute <laughs> abandonment and doing so for God's glory and not your glory. So I'm hoping that at this moment you're thinking to yourself, man, if I'm not doing something here at the church which is making a difference, first, everyone's going to know that I haven't even undertaken the simple rudimentary challenge of figuring out what my talents are. But second and most importantly, God's not going to be too pleased with me. And folks, don't worry about the critics. If there's one thing we've learned in this life, there will always be critics. People can be insensitive, amen? If people are insensitively truthful with you, Lund, your preaching stinks. Don't get bent out of shape and angry with them. Just take it in and move on. Let's face it, they're probably not particularly talented in being tactful. And remember what Paul told us last week in Romans 12. He said, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Think of yourself with a sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. I read that if you take your top five talents and group them together, the likelihood that you'll run into someone else in this life with the same top five talents is one in 275,000. And the likelihood that you run into somebody else who has the same five top talents in the same order as you is one in 33 million. If that doesn't make you unique in terms of talent, it makes you unique enough. The Bible affirms over and over again our special relationship with God that makes us unique when compared to the rest of creation. In Genesis, we find, you know this, God created mankind in God's image. And in Psalm 8, we read this. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, and the moon and the stars that you are, have established, what are humans that you are mindful of them, mortals that you care for them, yet you have made us just a little lower than you, God, and crowned us with honor and glory. When we ended last week, we asked you to do an inventory of where you are in your activity with the church, your prayers, your presence, your gifts, your service, and your witness. And this is week two, so it's step two. Taking that evaluation from last week, how then do you apply your top five talents, preferably starting with the top talent, to your prayers, your presence, your gifts, your service, and your witness here at your church. Let us pray. God, we live in your abundance every day and don't even know it, don't recognize it. Worrying about our weaknesses rather than thriving on the strengths, the good things you give us, Lord, the talents, the gifts. Lord, help us to be that person who understands his or her role, who understands his or her strengths and applies those in a way that benefits others so that they're getting our best, Lord, and we're in the process living out our best life because, Lord, we're focused on the gift from you. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord and Savior. Amen.